Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, where is the impeachment inquiry in the United States and do you care? More concerns about vaping. Are you paying attention? And how has the Shadok spill affected life at the Royal Botanical Gardens? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We've been talking about the impeachment inquiry going on all week. Uh, if you're, I, I'm finding it captivating. I know, I know, but I'm a, I'm a political head, so I, I, I don't mind this stuff at all. Uh, it, it just, I find it absolutely fascinating, and not so much with the subject matter. It's just the reaction to of the players. Uh, the characters are. Are, are unbelievable to, to watch in this thing. And it, it, it's unbelievable what we're seeing unfold uh, south of the border. Let's bring in Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. He's based in Washington. And he is with us now. Reggie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. All right. So you've had some time to sort of process this week and what's gone down. Uh, obviously, some some uh, important information at the end of last week with, with uh, uh, the testimony of the ambassador uh, to Ukraine and now what we're seeing this week um is this one of this these questions that i'm about to ask you that the answer is it depends on who you ask is there are there any clear winners were there any clear strikes and misses this week well i mean you know it, it is that kind of question where it depends on who you are but this was a week that well this has been a last the last two weeks uh, really uh were uh, were difficult for uh the republicans only because these witnesses that came forward uh were were in essence debunking each narrative that republicans had been trying to kind of dispel and each narrative uh, or each time these witnesses came forward, rather, uh, Republicans had to keep kind of moving goalposts around because they weren't really sure how to navigate their way around the course of what they were hearing. Did Democrats win? In their eyes, uh, I think that they're going to say, sure, this was a great week for us. I mean, the Democrats made a number of missteps on their own, and they may have muddied up their own waters by kind of making this, you know, a big deal and bigger than they needed to make it. But at the end of the day, both sides are going to claim this as being a win. And the president still maintains he did nothing wrong. So it's almost like we are where we were when this first started up in September. Yesterday's witnesses, quite uh, quite credible. Talk about, and and you were talking about this earlier in in the response by the Republicans, it seems that their tone has changed a little bit. Again, credible witnesses yesterday. What about the response from the Republicans? Look, they were hugely credible witnesses yesterday. Dr. Fiona Hill, she didn't mince any of her words. She came in, uh, you know, from the very beginning and said, look, I'm not going to be a part of any of your campaigns to try and push some Ukraine 2016 election meddling theory that has been debunked over and over again. And she was the top Russia advisor at the time. So she says, look, I understand that Russia propagated this. This was a, this was Russian interference in the election. Please stop saying that it's Ukraine. And that made it difficult for Republicans to try and go after her. Each time they tried to question her, she would either put them in their place or she would be in agreement with, uh, with the Trump administration on certain things. So this was a difficult moment for Republicans. Uh, and it was no 
noticeable towards the end of this hearing because when it was each of their turns to take their five minutes and kind of, uh, you know, ask questions or do what they need to do, they grandstand for five minutes each time because they had no questions that they were able to ask this witness. I noticed that. Um, does this settle the issue of Ukraine meddling in the election? Again, uh, we've got enough uh, from, from various agencies that say this comes from Russia. As you mentioned, this witness yesterday specifically working with that, she comes out and says, that's not the case. Uh, it's Russia that was involved in this, not Ukraine. Uh, d- does that does that resonate with the with the general public? And it seems Trump is still doubling down on, on the whole Ukraine conspiracy. He is doubling down on that. I mean, he talked about it this morning uh, when he did that kind of, you know, wide-ranging, rambling at times interview with Fox News where he talked about, uh, you know, Ukraine being involved in the DNC server and CrowdStrike and why is this Ukrainian company uh, kind of taking control? You know, at the end of the day, CrowdStrike is an American organized uh, operation. It's based out of Silicon Valley. Uh, this this idea that Ukraine hacked into the DNC server has been debunked over and over again. And, you know, one kind of side note to this, the GOP currently uses CrowdStrike uh, as a form and portion of their cybersecurity. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of just caught up in the details there. But this 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 theory that Ukraine is involved, despite the fact that it's been debunked, the president really wants this to become a big focus if and likely when this makes its way into the Senate for a trial. So are the Republicans changing their strategy? When this started a couple of weeks ago, it was, there's a lot of, and this, these are my words, there's a lot of nothing here. There's, there's just witnesses, there's hearsay, there's second and third people hearing, blah, 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 blah. Have, have, have the Democrats uh, proven what they said they were going to in the last two weeks? In the eyes of the Democrats, they've proven it, but Republicans, I don't think the needle moved very much, uh, despite the fact that these witnesses came forward day after day and provided information that debunked what the Republicans were trying to say. Uh, you know, first of all, it was there was nothing wrong. Then, sure, there might have been something wrong, but it wasn't really all that wrong. And then it was sure the president might have done something wrong, but he has the ability to be able to do that because he's the president. Uh, they, they, like I said, they had to keep moving these goalposts down the road. I think ultimately what we're going to see now is a Republican huddle once this makes its way, once articles of impeachment are drafted and it finds its way into the Senate, because this is ultimately where uh, the president is going to either be or not be held responsible for the action that he's uh, kind of being put on trial for. And Republicans are going to have to figure out how they want to do this, if they want to do it quickly, if they want to make this thing last. And the president is ultimately going to play a big role in this because his lawyers will actually have an opportunity now to come and speak and defend him. Have we heard anything from Rudy Giuliani in the last couple of days? I mean, he has been kind of putting tweets out there, but he hasn't really been trying to get in the way of anything. But even today, the president still uh, called him a, a good crime fighter and a great person. And despite the fact that uh, Rudy Giuliani is kind of at the center of all of this, the president still has his back. Uh, so he was on with a Fox interview today, and uh, the headline is Trump suggests he wants to be impeached and says, I want a trial live. So is there too much TV going on here and he's not a part of it? What's, like, where is this going? Well, I mean, you know, he when he said, I want a trial, and, you know, the Fox hosts kind of had to ask back, like, you want a trial with a question mark, and he kind of went off on a long tangent, but he's saying, you know, in fact, I do want a trial, because he sees this as his opportunity to kind of uh, put forward the narratives that the Republicans were trying to get on the table during the House hearings over the last couple of days. The president has already made it clear uh, via his loyalists in the Senate, i.e. Lindsey Graham, that they want to 
speak to Hunter Biden. They want to speak to Joe Biden. They want to speak to the whistleblower. They want to speak to Adam Schiff and have him come uh, and try to, you know, be in the hot seat and, 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 and fend for himself when it comes to why the president is, you know, on trial in the first place. The problem is, is that all of that is, is stuff that was kind of dispelled over and over again during the House hearings. And the president just wants to be able to push these uh, these kind of theories forward because he's still aggrieved at the fact that uh, people in Ukraine at the time didn't want him to win. He just he really just can't get over that. Uh, so if this goes to the Senate and a trial, will will they just shut it down or will they proceed with this and try to debunk what the Democrats have said? So there was a there's some reporting from the New York Times and from NBC that there is um, kind of a one hand says one thing, one hand says the other thing about how this may work when it goes to the trial. Mitch McConnell is going to be the one who ultimately decides how long this is going to be, since that's basically his house. Uh, but there are Republicans who want to do this and they say they want to get the trial done within a matter of just a couple of weeks. But there are critics on their side who are saying, look, if we rush through this right now, we may not be able to give the president what he wants when it comes to his witnesses and when it comes to his ability to tell his side of the story then there are some republicans saying well look let's let's drag this out and keep it going as long as we can because the more they do that the more it's going to keep democratic senators in the building and not on the campaign trail Mm. uh when they're trying to run for an election but then you have people saying if we put this out too long it could spell bad news for the president because it gives democrats more opportunities to talk so these republican huddles are going to last for a long time as they try to figure out which one ultimately is going to be in the best interest of the president isn't all of the whistleblower rhetoric um, just that now now that we've heard from all of these witnesses to me I I, I, I draw the I draw the analogy uh, I'm walking along a road uh, I'm walking along my neighborhood I see somebody suspicious at a neighbor's house doesn't look right so I call the cops and then the cops go over there and find out that in fact yes somebody is breaking into the home and they make arrests I mean I'm a whistleblower on aren't I I was the one that was originally called the police but it's obviously the investigation and everything that's happened afterwards it's going to make a conviction so is the whistleblower i mean is that still relevant in people's eyes well it's relevant in the eyes of the president because this is the person who ultimately started the impeachment process uh, and i think the president is so know, other than he wants to publicly humiliate them or slap them or slap them down in some way is there any validity to the investigation from the whistleblower standpoint i mean i don't think that that senators or or anybody in general needs to speak to the whistleblower because you're right, no. this person brought information forward. They're just the one that called the cops, are they not? They, they are, and it was looked into over and over again, and, you know, in the whistleblower's eyes, what they brought forward was corroborated, not only by people with secondhand information, but yeah. by people who were directly involved yeah. in these conversations. So I think the, the kind of push to have the whistleblower unveiled and come and speak, whether it's anonymously or out in the public, uh, I think defeats the purpose of everything right now, because this person came forward and everything was already discussed. Okay, Reggie, over and above your politics and whatever side you want to cheer for here and and whatever is going on. What about those people that are just average Americans sitting in the middle uh, and they're watching all of this stuff go down? And again, over and above whether it's enough to impeach the president or not, are Americans looking at this and saying, this is not right. This is not the leadership that America was looking for. I mean, well, is anybody having those thoughts over and I above mean, whether it's this or that or the other? Because whether America is great again or not, we can all debate, but it certainly is more divided. 
it is more divided, but there, you know, it's it's hard because we haven't had big pollsters go out there yet. We haven't had kind of a good idea as to what the general public on an overall basis looks like right now. Just some kind of small polling here and there came out, but the most uh, kind of the the one that's kind of grabbing everyone's attention right now is there was a, a Marquette University poll for Wisconsin, and it basically said that you know. 40% plus of people said that the president did something wrong. 40% plus of people feel that the president was putting pressure on Ukraine. 50% of people think that the president also did kind of wrongdoings. But then 53% don't think that the president mm. should be impeached and don't think that he should be punished for the work that he did. So there, there is still a, a larger number of people who are still backing the president and don't think that he should have to face a punishment if he does something wrong. So why the Fox interview today? What was the major, major point he was trying to make in that? Well, I mean, look, the president calls into Fox News, uh, you know, on the regular. It's yeah. just, you know, sometimes it makes news and sometimes it doesn't because sometimes the things that the president is saying are simply cyclical or untrue. Uh, I think today it was just a matter of him trying to get in front of everything. Yesterday uh, was not like the rest of the impeachment hearing days. Yesterday was a very important day for Democrats because these were people who, again, put Donald Trump's actions uh, under a spotlight and connected him further to a pressure campaign. And I think he used this as an opportunity to a get out and speak about what he had seen over the last two weeks unfold but b make sure that his base understands that uh he still can control the message so anything they may have heard over the last few days he's able to kind of stomp that down and say remember i'm your president i'm donald trump i have a message i have a good communication strategy here so here's what i have to say and ultimately that's going to be what his people listen to uh, considering most of these issues that Donald Trump finds himself in are self-inflicted, they're things that he has done over and above what he should have done or to what his advisors would say. Uh, you know, I, I'm watching these hearings the other day, uh, this testimony the other day, and, I, and I'm watching the people behind who are asking the questions, uh, whether it's Schiff or the Republicans, Nunes, I guess it is, um, they they just look, in a sense, defeated. Are the Republicans just getting tired of having to put out Donald Trump's fires? I, I mean, some of them might be, but I think that the Republicans are just getting really tired of the Democrats in their eyes yeah. constantly going after the president. And mm -hmm. I think that that's where some of this resentment comes from, because they see this as having been an operation to go after President Trump for three years. And they are tired of, sure, sometimes having to defend. And uh, you can what, see that. Uh, sure. Yeah. What appears to be sometimes ex inexcusable from the president, they have to defend that. But now they have to defend uh, kind of their Republican reputation, which has changed over the last couple of decades as to what a Republican is uh, in the eyes of constant attacks from the Democrats. And, you know, sometimes these public hearings, they're not they don't really accomplish anything because they're each politician is basically standing there just to kind of shout their own feelings and their own opinions on what's going on. And it doesn't really do anything for an overall narrative inside the party. So where do the uh, impeachment hearings go from here? Where does this go next week? So it's all quiet now and it's going to be quiet for the next couple of weeks. Uh, lawmakers are on their uh, recess now. It's Thanksgiving down here next week, so everybody's off. Washington's basically cleared out and quiet. When they return uh, the first uh, week of December, something maybe around the 5th or the 6th, uh, they are going to start huddling with their committees. They're going to go over the evidence, over the witness testimony that they heard, and ultimately this will end up in the hands of the Judiciary Committee who would be tasked with drafting up these articles of impeachment should they want to do that. If they do it, we're looking at a likely House vote sometime before Christmas 
office, I'd probably call it sometime in the third week of December. Can the Democrats not do this now? I mean, they, it's, impeachment is is uh, inevitable, is it not? I point? mean, yes. Nancy Pelosi's kind of backed herself up against a wall here because she originally said she didn't want to go for impeachment if it wasn't going to be a bipartisan thing. It turned out to be incredibly partisan, but she went through this entire process anyways. And ultimately, Democrats heard what they wanted to hear, but I think that they don't have a choice now. And we are likely looking at what's going to be the impeachment of, of President Trump. And then it's simply just going to be in the hands of the Senate to figure out whether or not they're going to carry forward what the House gave them. Uh, will we ever see Donald Trump testifying on anything, whether whether it's in, in the House? Probably not. What about the Senate? I mean, is well, this I'm, a possibility that he gets up there and it's televised? I mean, I don't think that he's going to sit down and and give an in-person interview, you know, sitting across from, you know, anybody on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. I just I don't think that that's a possibility. But he has already said that he would have no problem submitting written answers. Now, that was to the uh, Democrats in the House. He very well may want to do that to the Senate, but he will also have his lawyers there who are able to speak for him and able to question the witnesses that have been called before the Senate. So the president's voice is going to be louder once we find ourselves in in the trial phase of impeachment. So until this is really over and we get through that phase, nothing's really moved here, has it? Nothing has really moved, and it's simply going to be a matter of the politicians trying to put a message out to their base, saying, look, here's what we did. We tried our best. You know, you voted for us to kind of take care of things. We did what we could. Uh, it's up in the air right now, and ultimately a decision is going to come down. Look, the president's likely not going to get uh, evicted from the Oval Office. He's not going to be uh, removed. So the Democrats are going to have to hope that what they did over the last couple of months yeah. is able to be pushed onto the campaign trail, and they can sit there and say, look, we didn't get to evict the president via impeachment. You can victim next year with your vote so we'll see come election time who which party this will benefit because it may be there may be a backlash it may work against them may work for them Ultimately, yeah, this, this is either going to be an opportunity for Senates to continue their majority in the Senate and take over the House, or it's going to be a flop and the Democrats are going to win. It's one of those situations where we can't look at polls because oftentimes we can't trust polls, but nobody really wants to wait another 12 months to figure out what the answer is going to be. Reggie Giacchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. He's based in Washington. And of course, make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 530 and 6 for more on all of this. Reggie, uh, a great week. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Happy Friday. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A new study shows that uh, that the Ontario teen who suffered vaping-related injuries was afflicted with symptoms much like popcorn lung. What is that, and uh, what does this mean moving forward when it comes to investigating uh, vaping? Let's bring in uh, Dr. Teresa Martino, a lung transplant respirologist with Toronto General Hospital, part of the teen's care team and co-author of this study, and on the line with us now. Teresa, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, thanks for having me. So first of all, what is popcorn lung? Yeah, so popcorn lung is, uh, is a disease in the lungs caused by a substance called, called diacetyl. And diacetyl is this diketone molecule. It actually smells very much like butter. It's a butter flavoring agent. It's been used for a long time in the microwave popcorn industry. And it gives it uh, the synthetic butter flavor that you can taste. It's actually safe for ingestion. It's been approved by the FDA for ingestion. And it uh, became apparent that the, the uh, workers working in the microwave uh, popcorn factory who were mixing the butter flavors in the large mixing rooms became sick with a lung disease that was quite peculiar. It causes this uh, obliteration and fibrosis or scarring of the small airways. 
And after much investigation, it was found that it was this compound, the diacetyl, that caused this scarring of the small airways uh, that is, uh, in many cases, irreversible. How does vaping replicate this? We've known for a while that uh, diacetyl is actually found in some of these uh, um, e-cigarette and, um, and uh, vaping compounds. Um, it was studied uh, in, a, in a few uh, studies of the cartridges uh, in, the, in the U.S. And uh, it's, it's used in the flavoring of, the, of these compounds because it smells, it's so flavorful. So we suspect that many of these flavored cartridges are uh, using diacetyl and other, other flavoring agents, which may also be toxic. There are over 7,000 different flavoring compounds that may be used. And uh, we've been worried that some of these uh, vaping uh, events may, may cause acute lung injury, such as popcorn lung, and we haven't actually seen any of them that have been so convincing until this recent case that was quite severe and, uh, and very scary. And this is a, perfect, a perfectly healthy person, and then within several weeks became incre- incredibly ill, correct? Exactly. He was vaping for uh, about five months, which is not actually that long, and then within about a week developed a cough, fever, shortness of breath, presented to the hospital. Within another week, was admitted to the hospital. Within another week, he was actually on life support on a respirator, and a week later, he was failing even on the regular respirator that was breathing for him and required a higher level of life support called ECMO, where his blood was being circulated through a machine that was oxygenating it and removing carbon dioxide outside of his body. He was really close to death at that point. Mm. And I understand this damage, I mean, it's irreparable in many cases, in most cases. It can be. It's really hard to tell how much of this is irreparable um, until we follow him over time. We never were able to get the sufficient biopsy of his lungs to really evaluate this that carefully because it would have been too dangerous for him to do that. So uh, is this about the, the act of vaping or vaporizing this product? Uh, is, is it the technique or is it the products that are going inside these things that are creating harm? Um, we believe that it's the toxins that are actually contained in these products. And that, again, they're often approved uh, for ingestion, but it, that does not mean that they're safe for inhalation. Right. So diacetyl is a really good example because you can swallow it with really no downsides. But if you uh, heat it up and, uh, and aerosolize it and inhale it, it's extremely toxic to the lining of the lungs uh, at uh, high enough concentrations and kills off the lining of the lungs. And wasn't there some scenario not that long ago where there were traces of vitamin E oil or something that they were putting in this stuff just to cut it, just to make it go f- farther? Is that accurate? That is accurate. This is, uh, this is a study done um, in the U.S. Uh, that they studied the uh, fluid or the washings from the lungs of patients who had uh, severe lung illness after vaping THC products. And uh, um, what they actually found was a vitamin E acetate, which is a thickener used um, for the THC products. So clearly we do not know where this is going at this point. We don't really know, and it's important to keep in mind that there are probably multiple different substances that can cause the lung diseases, and there are multiple varied lung diseases that we have seen over the last few years. Uh, So this is not the end of the story. There have been at least 18 to 19 different patterns of lung injury, probably due to the fact that these substances themselves are so diverse. What about these? I thought these products were regulated. Is there a safe way to do this with regulated product? These substances are not regulated. There are no rules that uh, enforce any of these uh, of these substances and the use uh, of them in e-cigarettes or vaping products. 
Um, that's the problem, and that's really the, our call for a greater regulation of these. Advice to patients, to parents? You know, I think I think it's important to just be very aware of this. Uh, there are really no safe products, as far as we can tell at this point, or at least we can't tell which ones are more dangerous than others. And uh, and I think information is the key here. Um, I think I think uh, people need to remember that there are safer ways of quitting nicotine addiction. There are nicotine replacement products that are safe, and there are also resources online or seeking help from uh, healthcare professionals or family physicians that can be really helpful. Dr. Teresa Martineau has been with us, lung transplant respirologist with Toronto General Hospital, part of the Teens Care Team, and co-author of the study which we are talking in regard to vaping. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Of course, we have been talking in the last couple of days over a sewage leak, a massive sewage leak uh, into the West End watershed uh, in which uh, up to, I guess, 24 billion liters spilled into Shadok Creek because of a door, a valve, what have you, uh, that was uh, left open uh, over a period of time. Uh, then once it was found out about and fixed, uh, it stayed under wraps within the city, which has created a whole other uh, can of worms for the city moving forward. That being said, what does it mean for the environment? What does it mean for that sensitive area, especially in and around the Royal Botanical Gardens? To talk more about all of this, Ty Teismeyer, uh, Ty, Teismeyer is with us, head of the natural areas for the Royal Botanical Gardens and is with us now. Ty, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Yes, good afternoon, and thanks for having me. So how has this affected the area in and around the RBG? Um, Well, if you can imagine, there was the recovery of a marsh really actually recurring after, one could say, almost a a century of many people's efforts in many areas. And uh, the marsh just looked like it had an eraser go over it, and all that recovery was just shut right down, and you're kind of back to ground zero. Um, so it was pretty dramatic, actually. It's as dramatic as it gets, because, of course, the battle has always been capturing and treating sewage in the city over over the years for Truth to Paradise, and uh, the battle was being won inch by inch, and uh, was just a shutdown of the ecological system and um, made it rather unpleasant for a visitor at the same time. So when did RBG, when did you guys realize there was an issue here? I would say... Um, Going into April, it, it um, seemed to smell a little bit more than it does. And there were reports so, of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it um, yeah. But of course, because this particular creek has a variety of issues, you just had to assume there was nothing new beyond the, the known issues yet to be dealt with. And uh, then as the uh, the weather warmed up and the the clean water supply started to dry up from from the upper lands, then it all really concentrated. And by the time we got into June, we knew there had to be something much more serious going on than, than was being reported. So by that point, say June, you realized this was not part of the normal process. This was something that was adding to this problem. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the look of it, the complaints we were hearing, all of it, I ultimately myself finally just said, well, someone's got to look down there. So I got in a boat and went right up Stoke Creek as far as I could, starting down in uh, Coop's Paradise to mm-hmm. see what I could see. And what did you see? What did you find? What did I find? I have 
never found something more disgusting in my life. Basically, at the top end of the creek where it comes out from underneath uh, the Highway 403, it disappears under big giant concrete box culverts. It was basically like sitting inside the initial stage of a sewage treatment plant. Oh, man. Scum and stink. Was this was this easy to detect? Was it easy to get to the bottom of this? Oh, to find out the source of it? Yes, mean? yes. No, Baron, that was the problem because the creek disappears under the ground completely because it's going under the 403 and other elements of the city. It's not been a beloved creek. It's been in the way of all sorts of other types of progress. Mm-hmm. You knew there was going to be a really difficult challenge to in theory, figure out where in the world underground the problem originated from. When you found out there was a problem, what was your thought, or what the problem was? What was your thought? Um, well, the thought was, okay, this is uh, quite a bit of, this is quite a serious situation. So now we're into, like, early July when things really started to happen. So the information, took some photos, passed it on. Some other people were coincidentally also setting sending in some photos. We sent them right to the city of Hamilton and said, this is what we have out here right now. This is definitely not right. Please go look underground. It's got to be underground somewhere. Hmm. Uh, Any consolation that at least now you know what it is? Um, Yeah. That's actually uh, fantastic to know. Uh, There was concerns over, um, well, we had made tremendous progress on a lot of the marsh. This area was struggling, and it was actually technically getting slightly worse year over year over the last four, and so... And you didn't know why. And you're like, how can this be when all this good work is being done to, to remedy, even on Stoke Watershed, a lot of good work was ongoing in those four years, so how could you be going backwards there instead of forwards? And so to know that this was actually discovered and dealt with, that's, uh, that's, that makes a huge difference just for this 2019 year and going forward. So uh, we're, we're hearing from the city, you know, series of valves, doors, what have you, something left open to allow this to overflow and go into the creek and, and, and Coots Paradise and such. Uh, how long has that been rectified? How long has that been closed? Has this been fixed? I would have the same answer you would have that you would read in the media at this point. The, um, the actual information is, is going to be in the report that is being held in confidence until the Ministry of Environment and Conservation and Parks finishes their investigation. So, in theory, they say it was closed in uh, mid-July once they finally figured it out, and that's what we have to take as the information. So, considering this, it looks like, and let's say this was rectified, it was fixed in, 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 in this source shut off from dumping this sewage in mid-July, have you been able to see any sort of, uh, any sort of, uh, of correction in this in any way? Can you tell that yes. at least it stopped? Oh, absolutely. There was a, a, a reasonably quick recovery, of course. The limiter was... It was the heat of the summer by the time this was uh, on, yeah. and so until the rain started to fall and the creek started to flow again, which happens in the fall, you were stuck with it. And uh, once, uh, but by the time you got to September, it was already dramatically better, getting close to at least acceptable for recreation. And uh, 
Once you got to the end of October, the whole system had been flushed through by the rainwater. It doesn't take water long to go through Coots Paradise out to the harbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so by even November, actually by the time we got to November, because a whole lot of things were coming together, as, as is the process, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward. Mm. By the time we got to the end of November, actually the waters of Coots Paradise were the clearest I have ever seen them. So uh, how do you decide, uh, when did you realize that, you know, we have normal algae blooms, we hear of that every summer and such, but this is different. This is something over and above the obvious, over and above normal. Yep. Yeah, so it was really the stench of the sewage smell yeah. from Shadow Creek far. And we all heard about that, didn't we? Far exceeded the normal smell. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it starts right there. It was straight up the smell of the creek. So how much damage done by this? Uh, as you mentioned, it, it seems to have recovered well. Does that is that good? Does that mean there is no damage? Or is this something we have yet to, 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 to analyze to see how bad it was or is? Yeah, no, there's uh, definitely work to analyze how bad it was. Certainly the plant community, that's, we're talking millions of aquatic plants that were lost to, and it's a long, slow battle, for example, to grow a water lily. And yeah. water lilies should be one of the common plants. If you want to go buy one at a store, they're 25 bucks a pop. Um, what did we lose? Probably 10,000 water lilies gone. So hmm. good math on that one. Um, the remaining, the real big question at the moment is the aquatic insects, of course, that are part of the bottom, the benthic invertebrates, bugs, right. clams, these things, dragonfly nymphs. The things that often emerge from the water to feed migratory birds and keep the fish fed, how much of them were lost. And then even within that, there's actually uh, one of the great success stories of the recovery was Coots Paradise had become the number one spot for a highly highly endangered clam. And so how many of them are even left alive? So as you are heading, as we're heading into winter now, and then obviously after that spring, what are your concerns in the next six months as, and then as spring arrives? Well, so the top concern, aside from trying to figure out how to do an assessment on what's alive at the bottom at this point, is um, getting this report released, summarized, because one of the outcomes of this is there will be a good investigation into the subterranean world of Shadow Creek and where many of the issues might be, because there's many issues in the subterranean world of Shadow Creek, and there's never been resources allotted to do this thorough an investigation. So this is going to yield some important information on how to uh, fully recover the water in Shadow Creek, and then that's going to lead to, we're going to need some infrastructure money coming to the city of Hamilton to help them fix it. Is that the positive to come out of this? Is, the, is there a positive? This is the positive. Yeah. Shadow Creek was one of many issues in the Hamilton sewer system. Um, it's very uh, it's very uh, localized to the corner of Coots Paradise, but actually into the West Harbor. And so, this is a this is a main public access area. The money to look into a rather complicated situation has now been invested, and in, so we get to finally get the details of the troubles that are buried underground that then are going to need work. 
Uh, your thoughts on, you know, and obviously there's an investigation going on and, and we don't know yet where that's all going to end up, but but your thoughts on this whole incident and, and the challenge of now uh, replenishing this and everything that's happened, how, how are you feeling about this? What are your thoughts? What, what, what annoys you? What, what, I mean, is this a forgivable offense? Is this, what, what are your thoughts? Um, the worst things I've ever seen, honestly. It's one yeah. of the worst things I've ever seen to do with the water. Um, I'm sure on the city of Hamilton staff end, it was shocking, but we just, the sooner we can share information, the sooner we can work together to do the best we all can do together. We're all under limited resources. Yeah. So that's, uh, I have a lot of, yeah. I'm hopeful that sooner than later the report can be available for us all to move forward with. Ties Tiesmeyer has been with us, head of natural areas for the Royal Botanical Gardens, of course, talking about how the Royal Botanical Gardens and the areas in and around Coots Paradise have been affected by the Shadok spill, which we are all learning more about. Ties, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.